Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. It's every parent's worst nightmare. Your daughter meets a guy in a distant city and suddenly winds up dead. He's nice at first and more understanding than you. He listens and he's funny and she's happy, even giddy, with this new love in her life. And then something changes. Her mood darkens. She talks about him less and you don't know why. She's less happy each time you see her and soon you're not seeing her at all. On a cold November morning, they find her body in a lake with her throat slit. This is the story of Almeida Eleanor Hewitt, and if that name sounds old-fashioned to you, that's because she died in 1888 in Chicago five years before the 1893 World's Fair. And if Chicago circa 1888 or the 1893 World's Fair ring a bell for you, you are probably thinking of one of America's most notorious serial killers, rumored to be responsible for the deaths of hundreds of women, H. H. Holmes and his so-called Murder Castle. The Murder Castle was in an apartment complex on the south side of Chicago, designed for the disposal of its inhabitants. There were secret passages into private rooms and wide chutes hidden in the walls that allowed homes to drop bodies into the basement for a dissection or incineration. When police later opened the door to the large basement furnace, they found claw marks from desperate victims Holmes had buried alive. This building was so well designed around the agenda of quietly disappearing its guests that it was basically a wall-to-wall instrument of violence. But in 1888, the world's largest murder weapon was still under construction. Holmes would hire and fire a new construction crew every few weeks. So they never caught on to his evil designs. But the man known as the Beast of Chicago was already prowling the city for victims. His business partners had mysteriously vanished years before, leaving all of their fortune to him. And the same charm that bamboozled his sophisticated friends was irresistible to the attractive young women onboarding trains every hour in America's booming second city. They came from all over America to realize their dreams in this emerging cultural hotspot in the heart of the Midwest. They came to find happiness and freedom from the constraints of small-town living. Too many of them found H.H. H. Holmes, Almeda Hewitt, 
a pretty and abused teenager from Wabash County, Indiana, may have been the first to do so. I sat down with the local Wabash historian, Dr. Ron Woodward, a friend of mine, for the full story. The young lady's name was Maida Hewitt, H-U-I-E-T. She was born in Ohio near Dayton in 1870. When she was about seven years old, her parents separated. Uh, Her father was kind of a mean character in her life. He beat her and he beat her mother. Anyway, they separated and she stayed with her mother for, oh, maybe about six months. And then her father kidnapped her, took her to a train down in Miamisburg in Ohio and came to Somerset, Indiana, here in Wabash County. At Somerset, he had relatives, and and Maida lived with her grandmother for a while. While she was there, her her dad frequently beat her uh, just out of spite or just as he felt like doing so. Uh, He often was uh, reported as having struck her on the back with a stick of wood, which uh, later on in life affected her both mentally and physically. If her father remarried, he told everybody that his first wife had died, so he went ahead and remarried, and he threatened Maida that if she ever told that story, that she was alive, that he'd kill her, so she lived in fear. A lady by the name of Mrs. Turo, who lived in Chicago, was visiting friends in Somerset, and she became interested in Maida, and she offered to take Maida back to Chicago with her when she went back home. And she did. And Maida lived there in Chicago for about a year. And she was very happy in the situation. She was about 14 years old at the time. And, and leaving Somerset, a town of maybe 500 people, and going to, to Chicago with its vast multitude of people was a big experience in her life. While she was there, she met a fellow by the name of H.N. Edwards. Now, there is such a person who existed as H.N. Edwards. Uh, he happened to be a, uh, a pharmacist, and he also happened to be a good friend of a fellow by the name of, uh, uh, well, his actual name was Herman Mudgett, but he went by the name of Holmes while he was in Chicago. And the two actually knew each other. They were in the same business and and so forth. This H.N. Edwards was able to seduce her. Uh, I guess about the only way to say it. She would later tell friends that Edwards was his assumed name, uh, made up, that he was wealthy, that he owned two drugstores in, in both Chicago and St. Louis, and that he had promised to marry her and and he requested that if she ever wrote to him that she write to this uh, Mr. H.N. Edwards, care of E.L. Denning, with the Chicago Interior in Chicago, Illinois, and he'd pick up the letters. He wanted her to do that because he was uh, supposedly married and he didn't want his wife to know that. And uh, uh, but she did when she later leaves Chicago and goes to Rowan to live. Uh, she uh, 
writes to him constantly, and he writes back to her as this H.N. Edwards. And while she uh, uh, was going with him, uh, she described him not only as being wealthy and owning these drugstores, but that uh, he was a fine scholar, that he could speak at least three languages, if not more. She always wondered and expressed to her friends in Rowan, how could anyone be interested in little old me uh, with all this knowledge? H.N. Edwards was an alias for Almeida Souter, and there really was someone using the name H.N. Edwards in Chicago at the time, and he did own a drugstore, but this was not his real name. Mita's mystery man had borrowed the name of an associate as an alias for his relationship with an out-of-town girl. Any one of Almeida's Indiana friends would have called her Mita that tried to look up her big city boyfriend would find him immediately, pretty much exactly as she described him, without coming any closer to his true identity. It's pretty brilliant when you think about it. As Dr. Woodward has mentioned, H.H. Holmes, the famed serial killer, had a drugstore in Chicago at this time, and he knew a man named Edwards through their common vocation. He spoke multiple languages and was known for his ability to charm young women. He was continually using aliases like Alexander Bond and even the name Henry Howard Holmes was fake. As Woodward reminded us, his real name was Herman Mudgett. Holmes was actually younger than Mita described, but he was balding prematurely and looked much older than his years. His heavy mustache and bowler hat do sort of give him the appearance of a middle-aged man. You might take a moment and look up his mugshot to see what you think. Back to Woodward and the sad story of Mita Hewitt. The father got upset and went to Chicago and took his daughter, Maida, back to to Somerset with him. He didn't like her living there. He wanted more control, and he wanted her money. She got a job in Rowan as a housekeeper, And while she was a housekeeper uh, and making money, he would visit her on her paydays and take her money from her. And all she ever received in return were physical abuse and and, uh, verbal abuse from him the whole time. So while she was living in Rowan, she decided she was going to return to Chicago and eventually marry this Mr. Edwards. Well, she hatched an idea and a plan and saved a little bit of money and set it back and caught the train out of Rowan um, and hooked up with another train that took her on into Chicago. She was there for about six months. She did reconnect with Mr. Edwards. He did pay a lot of attention to her. And but they never got married, and evidently she was tired of the life she was living or the promises she had been made not being fulfilled by Edwards. Uh, she committed suicide by cutting her throat. So many women would go to Chicago in those early days for jobs that if a girl went missing or died. Uh, the police didn't research it very much. 
uh, even if a family came to Chicago looking for a lost child or a relative, they couldn't hardly find them. It was so crowded, and, and people just disappeared. Women in particular, some, they went to Chicago to realize dreams of, of, of starting a new, fresh life in a new, different place. And when they got there, it oftentimes was different from what they expected. The brothels were full in Chicago, and young girls disappeared into them. Crime was rampant. A new young lady off the train was just such a common sight that nobody thought much about it. And she just disappears from the history of the area. The police didn't investigate. They just knew she was a suicide and had cut her throat. It was kind of suspicious, though, if you ask a police officer today, a person committing suicide doesn't often cut their throat. They'll cut their wrists or other parts. It's kind of hard to cut your own neck. So it was kind of suspicious what was happening. This was all in 1886. Her remains were identified. Family was connected and she lies buried in the Rowan Community Cemetery near Rowan to this very day. Mita came to the city of Chicago. For the man, she called H.N. Edwards. But that's not what the papers call him. Edwards comes forward at the time of her death to identify her, introducing himself to the Chicago police as one O.W. Arts. Following his time with the police where he casually directs them to the likelihood of her suicide. Arts does multiple interviews with newspapers, where he continues a narrative of Mita's suicidal unhappiness. It's worth pausing here for a moment to note that there is no official record in Chicago in the 1880s of any man named O.W. Arts. In an interview with the Interocean newspaper on December 2, 1888, Arts tells reporters that he treated Mita as a brother treats a sister and that she was romantically entangled with another man who was ultimately responsible for this tragedy. Arts points the finger at George W. Johnson, owner of the Clarion newspaper in Mita's hometown of Rowan, Indiana, suggesting George's refusal to leave his wife for Mita led her to despair. He says Mita's brain was turned and that she was temporarily insane at the time of her death, in his own words. I am under the impression that Mita was in love with the man Johnson, and as he is a married man, her case was hopeless. The trouble arising in her family was enough to turn any girl's brain, and I believe that while laboring under a fit of temporary insanity, she made away with herself. Whatever his intentions, O.W. Arts succeeds in convincing the CPD of Mita's suicide. When I reached out to the department for official documents regarding her death, I learned that there aren't any. The department was as helpful as they could have been. They searched every variation of the name Mita or Almeida and even checked every record from the week of her death. The judgment of suicide preempted the need for any investigation, and Mita's case was quietly discarded. Her life is a sad story. She was 
on her gravestone it says she was 18 years, one month, and 13 days old. It was a short life, but not an unusual story, unfortunately, in, in those days. I asked Ron what he thinks of the potential connection with H.H. Holmes. He's also known by a nickname, if you will have. He's known as the Beast of Chicago. He arrived in Chicago in 1886. So he was there at the same time as Maida was there. Same time span completely. When, I'm going to call him Herman, uh, when Herman Mudgett arrived in Chicago, he had had some medical experience, very little, but he'd had some, but he went into the drugstore business. Now, he was a very likable person, especially with young ladies. They found him very engaging and extremely attentive to their needs, and he went to work for a druggist in Chicago. Well, within a very short time, he was running the business, and uh, the owners disappeared. And he began to do such a great business in attracting a, a large clientele of young ladies that uh, he would pay attention to and, and, and satisfy their needs as far as uh, various drugs uh, that they could use uh, from the drugstore, that his business continued to grow and he was able to expand and he would later have a another drugstore, not only in Chicago, but in St. Louis. So he had two stores. And uh, he was known as a ladies' man, and a lot of young ladies uh, did seem to disappear from his establishment. They would go in there and become very friendly with him, and he would be seen around town with them, going to dinner and to the theater and that kind of thing. And then they would just kind of seem to fall off the face of the earth. You wouldn't see them any longer. Uh, could Maida have been one of those people? Now, he uh, would uh, seduce particularly wealthy women so that he could get a life insurance policy on them and then kill them. He began to raise uh, enough money that he could expand his business in Chicago, and he bought a block across the street from him. And there he began to build a three-story building, which he would have on the first floor his drugstore and rent out space to other small businesses. And then on the second floor, he would have a kind of office space for, for lawyers and, and that kind of thing. And then on the third floor would be a hotel, because at this time, the Chicago World's Fair was beginning to take over the interest of the Chicago community, and he knew about it and wanted to get in on the ground floor, and with a, with a hotel, he could provide rooms for some of his victims, also make money off of other people, but mainly victims. The uh, hotel became known as, uh, as the murder castle because of what went on there. He was in debt to everybody. He may have seemed to be wealthy and have money, but he owed everybody in town money for everything from furniture to supplies. He would rob Peter to pay Paul, and that was his life and his existence. In the hotel, 
when he began construction of it, he would use various different groups of architects and other people to construct the building. The contractors were given one design, and then they would be given another, and it became a puzzle in the hotel. Some of the rooms had doors that uh, led to nothing. Then others, there were secret chutes where he could dispose of bodies down in the basement. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Reflecting on this, I decided to follow her advice, and I noticed profound changes in my own dogs. Enhanced energy, healthier skin, and an overall younger demeanor. It's truly heartwarming to see them so vibrant and full of life. Go to badlandsfood.com slash hometown and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash hometown. In the basement, he had a vault where he could torture his victims and no one could hear. He had an extremely large furnace where he could dispose of bodies. He kept vats of acid where the bodies could be reduced to bones. He even took the bones, had them articulated, and then sold them to doctors or anyone who wanted to have a skeleton in their house. It was the kind of man he was. I think that Maida Hewitt stumbled into his path and became one of his numberless victims. We know that he did kill about 27 people. He even admitted to that when he was finally caught. But there are estimates that range as high as 200 people died at his hands. And hers is just one of those tragic stories that uh, appeared in that community. We don't have any physical proof that made a new one, but there are some coincidences. For instance, the name H.N. Edwards is a bona fide name. He was a friend of Herman's. Uh, did he use his name? Very possibly. We know that he used a lot of other monikers as well, so that's possible. The description, the assumed name, the description being wealthy, owning two drugstores, one in Chicago and St. Louis, that fits Mudgett as well. His demeanor, being able to uh, uh, entrance young ladies, fits the bill. The, the only difference there is that uh, she said he was 55 years old. Well, he wasn't that old when he was in Chicago, maybe in his 30s, but he did wear a beard. And as, as you know, even today, a lot of uh, young men will wear a beard so that they appear to be much older than what they are. 
We know that he was fluent in various languages. Uh, that fits the bill as well. So, yes, it is just supposition, and it's an interesting story. Uh, oh, and one other thing. We do know that he, Herman Mudgett, was involved with young ladies in Indiana, particularly in Lafayette. There was a young lady murdered there that he knew. Uh, he did live in Indianapolis for a while, and there was a murder there, not of a girl, but of uh, one of the children of one of the women that he did marry uh, was killed there as well. So it wasn't just Chicago he, uh, that he acted in. He did get to St. Louis, and he did go back out east, and uh, bodies appeared along his trail all the way. So uh, there's still work to be done, but maybe we do have a connection here in Wabash County to this beast of Chicago. You had mentioned that H.N. Edwards was a real person. Do you know any details about him, like what year he was born or anything? I don't have any details about uh, Mr. Edwards. I do know that there was an H.N. Edwards in Chicago. I know that he was also a druggist. One of the things that Holmes always would do is use an assumed name when he met these women so that they really never knew him as Mudgett. They knew him as as Holmes or some other name. So to me, it would be quite likely that he would have used someone else's name that he knew if he had to come up with a name right off the bat. And did you say that Edwards confessed to Maida that that was not his real last name? Right. He told her that it was an assumed name and that he was using that name because he was wealthy and did not want to embarrass his family, and that also that he was married and did not want his wife to find out about this. And the interesting thing about that, to me anyway, is that Mudgett was married. He did have a family before he moved to Chicago. He was married, and he never divorced her. And although he might have married three, four other women, he never divorced them. They always died except that first wife. So this H.N. Edwards fits the bill of what Mudgett was doing in in using a fake name. Were you aware of, off the top of your head, any known victims of Holmes whose throats were cut? No. I don't know that much about his methodology other than that he used the basement as a place to dispose of the bodies either by submersion in the a vat of acid or in the fires and, and of course the articulation of the skeleton I'm thinking in my own mind that when Maida died in 1888 that he was just getting started in what he was going to do later in the murder castle, that this was an easy method for him. I I know that prior to going to Chicago, he had stolen bodies to sell or maybe killed people to sell to medical institutions. I know he did some of that, 
and I'm just thinking these were some of his early attempts to beginning to feel his way through his criminal behavior. Did they have access to Mado's body? Like, is she actually buried in the cemetery? Yes, she's actually buried at the cemetery. Her body was shipped from uh, Chicago down to Rowan and, and buried in what is now called the Rowan Community Cemetery. It used to be called the Rowan Oddfellow Cemetery. Yeah, but her body is there, grave is there, and uh, uh, it's beginning to get a little illegible right now because of climate conditions and all that, but it's it's still there. Did she write a suicide letter? Is that how her family found out? I don't know how her family found out. I Maybe she had something on her. Uh, I know she re- sent a lot of letters to uh, Edwards slash Mudgett in Chicago. They, they wrote letters back and forth constantly while she was living in Rowan. Maybe she had some of those in her possession. I don't know. How they were able to connect her, that I do not know. Uh, I do know this, that the story didn't appear just locally. It was, In fact, it was picked up from the Indianapolis newspapers that reported it. So it got some notoriety throughout this area uh, before it even made the Wabash newspapers. And how all that connected together, I do not know. How did you learn about Meta? Uh, simply by reading newspapers. I enjoy reading the early newspapers, and I happened to run into this account in a December issue of the Wabash Plain Dealer, and it was told from the viewpoint of one of her friends who lived in Rowan that stayed in touch with her and uh, had confided in her that she was going to marry Edwards and, and get away from Rowan and Wabash County and live this fantastic life in Chicago with a rich man. And she was the one who was interviewed by the local paper and told her story or her version of Meta. And that's how I found out about it, just by going back to those early papers. They're just full of all kinds of tidbits, uh, stories, accounts, legends of the community that these little newspapers were printed in. Just fantastic source of information for people to go to. You mentioned that they had interviewed Maida's friend. What did her friend feel happened to her? She didn't express that opinion. She just went along with what the police said, that it was a suicide. But again, it's awfully hard to commit suicide by cutting your throat. Got to be steady. You got to hold that knife just right, and you got to slice in deep enough to get the veins. It's just not your normal suicide method for young ladies in particular. So that's what leads me to to wonder, did she meet Herman? Was she one of his first victims? Was he learning his craft at her expense? That's what I have to ask. Yeah, that's a good point. Not very often would you find someone commit suicide by slicing their throat. There's much easier ways to get that done. If you ask a police detective today who handles murders, he will tell you that that's not the normal way. 
So I think he was beginning to learn his craft. He was just experiencing what it felt like with that blood pouring out over his hands and the power of being able to, to take a life. Plus, it was ridding him of a problem. If he, he was he was courting hundreds of ladies at one time, and some of them could become difficult. Uh, no autopsy was performed, so we don't know if she was pregnant or not. Uh, but that's a definite possibility that that could have she could have confronted him with a, a unwanted child, and that was it. <laughs> He'd had enough. When I said at the beginning of this episode that Mita's story was every parent's worst nightmare, I was referring to normal parents. That's not what Mita had. Her mom had turned to what she called a disreputable life, and her dad wouldn't even pick her body up at the train station when it was shipped back to Rowan for burial. The Indianapolis News covered Mita's funeral and referred to her father in the headline as an unnatural father. In the body of the article, it noted, Meta's father, whose house is six miles north of the city, refused to have anything to do with the funeral and did not appear to view the remains. He was utterly indifferent as to the fate of his daughter. At an early hour today, he disappeared, accompanied by his second wife, to avoid prosecution for bigamy. The tragedy has created a sensation at Rowan, where the dead girl had many friends. She was a general favorite. There's yet much mystery surrounding the case, which will be cleared up soon. The last part of that comment is especially stinging. Any thought that the mystery of Mita's death will be cleared up soon is about 135 years out of date. We still know so little, but due to some investigative work, I have a working theory. Here is what I think happened. I think H.H. Holmes arrived in Chicago in August of 1886 and met Mita at that time while using the name H.N. Edwards. Wanting to keep his identity secret and obsessed with aliases, he gave her the name of a fellow acquaintance. When Mita's dad takes her back to Indiana, she continues writing to Holmes. We know that she was exchanging letters with H.N. Edwards at a pace of about four letters a week. The year after Mita and Edwards met, 1887, Holmes begins the construction of his murder castle. By the time she dies in 1888, this building is not yet completed, which explains why she wouldn't have disappeared into its basement. When Mita returns to Chicago in 1888, Holmes, operating now under the assumed name of O.W. Arts, reconnects with her and finds her a job. Six months later, her body is found in the lake. If he had dumped it anywhere else, in a street, for example, police would have investigated as a matter of course. Drownings are accidents, apparently, even when your throat is cut. I think it was telling that Art was the only person suggesting anything about an affair with another man. By directing the cops to suicide, Arts headed off an investigation. By pointing the finger at another man, he may have been directing suspicion away from himself had police investigated the death as a murder. If she had been pregnant, as Ron suggested, 
an autopsy would have uncovered that. And the first place cops would look for her killer would be her married lover. By inventing an affair with George Johnson, Art would have been covering his bases. After speaking with Ron, I went looking for Mita's gravestone. It's within an hour from me, in her hometown of Roanne. Visiting Mita brought her tragic story home in a way I hadn't anticipated. I spent the afternoon clearing her stone for more than a century of neglect in order to bring her name back into the light of day. I spent much of that time trying to decipher the bottom inscription. Because it was closest to the ground, it was the dirtiest and most corroded. After about an hour of running my hands over the lettering and resorting to some purple crayon rubbings on a piece of white paper, I finally figured it out. It reads, Here lies a rose, a budding rose, blasted before her bloom whose innocence did sweets disclose beyond that flower's perfume. Join me in part two to learn more about Almeida and how her death possibly connects to H.H. Holmes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.